How to Play, Episode 19, Shadows Over Camelot. Well, hello once again, and welcome to the How to Play podcast. We're all the way up to episode 19, and after a tightly contested vote on which game would be on this episode, the winner by just a single vote was Shadows Over Camelot. So that's what I'll be talking about today. This is your host, Ryan Stern, coming to you from beautiful western New York, and this episode was recorded in the How to Play studios on August 11th, 2010. If you're new to the show, this podcast is about learning and teaching games. I'm going to give you an explanation of the game Shadows Over Camelot, just as if I was sitting there at the table teaching you the game and we were about to play it. The podcast is intended as a way to learn the game or to learn how to teach the game to others. If you enjoy this show, check out more great game explanations at my podcast website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com. And to discuss the show, go check out BoardGameGeek and look up guilds. We have a discussion forum called a guild there at BoardGameGeek, and we're approaching 250 members. So go check it out and join up. Coincidentally, that's also where the poll for how this show was decided. We had four games there to choose from, and close to 100 listeners went in there and voted, and that's how we came up with this show. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that through the guild. Or you can email me directly at the show's email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Please consider making a donation to the show. If you'd like to do that, we have a PayPal button there at the website. And if you'd like to make a donation of $20 or more, I will send you out a How to Play t-shirt. Alright, so it's time to get to today's game, Shadows Over Camelot. Shadows Over Camelot was designed by Serge Legette and Bruno Cathala. It plays between three and seven players, but I recommend playing it with between five and seven players. Complexity rating. This game is a blue square game. It has a moderate amount of rules, but the game is relatively easy to pick up. It's a good game to learn as you go. The nice thing is because it's a cooperative game, you can really teach things as you go throughout the game. It also has a moderate playing time. It's not too long. lasts about an hour to an hour and a half. However, this game has a couple more important requirements. Now, this is our first highly concentrated thematic game. And as such, you're going to need players who have a bit of imagination and a sense of humor. Now, this is really more of a game experience than it is, say, a strategic game. Now, the mechanics are fine, but the game is really more about the thematic experience than it is the gameplay. Games about talking in silly voices and calling each other brave knights and my liege and accusing each other of dastardly behavior. And if you have people who are looking for a competitive, serious game then this probably isn't it. Or if you have people that you don't know real well or you feel uncomfortable loosening up and getting a bit goofy, it's going to diminish your experience. Players also really need to be communicating with each other during this game. And if you have a group of quiet, shy folks that are really introverted, they might get less out of this game unless they're really willing to come out of their shell. Now on the flip side, if you're looking for a fun game to play with your family or with kids, this is really a great game because kids can just dive into that theme and eat it up. 
This is one of the most popular games at my board game club. They can't get enough of it. However, because it is a moderately complex game, they're not really able to play it on their own unless you have, say, an older student, like a, a middle school age student could run this on their own. Otherwise, if you have younger kids, you're really going to need to have an adult in there to run the game and help them facilitate the game. But just keep in mind that you need a group of people that's going to get into the thematic experience of this game to fully enjoy the experience. Now, loyal listeners will probably know that this game is a bit of a departure for me. Shadows over Camelot, it's part of two genres of games that I generally don't care for very much. It's a thematic experience game, as I just mentioned, and it's a cooperative game. Now, most games of either of these genres, I personally generally try to steer clear of. They're just not my cup of tea. But it is good to have a few of these kind of games in your collection. And if you're looking for games of those genres, Shadows Over Camelot is a fantastic choice. Now, it's not one of my top games, but if I'm looking for something a bit different, or if I'm burned out on heavy Euros, or I got a big group of people and we just want to relax and have some fun, Shadows Over Camelot is a game I'll probably reach for. The reason for that is the thematic element is really well done, especially with the production of this game. Look at this board is just beautiful artwork. The cards are really nice illustrations. The miniatures, all these individual miniatures of the knights, uh, the two different categories of barbarians. We've got the Holy Grail in there. And especially if you take the time to paint them, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about later on. But they still look pretty cool just as they are. And the cooperative element in this game works really well because it's not completely cooperative. Sometimes in cooperative games you have the possibility of one or two players sort of taking over and running the whole game. Now in this game the rules strictly prohibit that just in how this game works because of an interesting mechanic in the game. Another great reason to own this game is the player counts. This is a rare game that really plays well with six or seven, even eight players. You don't even need an expansion to play with eight players. You can go online, get the eighth player board, and just get any figure you want to play the eighth player, and boom, you've got an eight player game that actually works well and you can play in under two hours. Overall, for the whole package, Shadows Over Camelot for me definitely does qualify as a great game. It's one that definitely fills many gaps in anybody's collection. If you don't own it yet, pick it up. Now, let's get to the explanation. The structure for the show, for those of you new, is we'll have a hook, which is an introduction. We'll have the meat of the rules, everything you need to know to get started. And then the hamster, to give you just a little bit of strategy. Then we'll have what I call the vegetables, or the smaller rules. Now one thing that I'm going to do a little bit different with this game is this is really a great teach-as-you-go game. What I mean by that is I don't have to go over every single rule before we get started in the game. Now there's some other more complex games where you really do have to do that or some of the players are going to be at a disadvantage. In this game, it just doesn't matter because a lot of the game is cooperative and there's many rules that just don't matter until you get to that stage of the game. So that's how I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain in the meat everything you need to know to get started. And then in the vegetables, I'll put in those things that I would tell the players as those rules become relevant. Then we'll have the musing section. I'll do a real short musing bit about cooperative games, some of the other cooperative games you may have heard of, and compare Shadows Over Camelot to those games. And then, because this game has these great miniatures, and I've spent a lot of time working on learning how to paint miniatures, I thought this would be a great 
spot to put in a section teaching people how to paint game pieces. And then I thought, you know what? That probably would be just better as a separate episode. So instead of a longer musing section, you're going to get a lettered episode. Shortly after this episode comes out, you'll have episode E. It will come out right there. So you almost get a two for one. And that way people not interested in shadows can just listen to that how to paint miniatures episode if that's what they're interested in. So look for that on the How to Play podcast feed coming shortly. So that's what we're doing today. As always, I recommend having that game. Have it right in front of you so you can look at all the pieces and understand the game. If you don't have the game, go online, look at the board, look at the cards so that you understand and can better comprehend what I'm talking about here with this game. My introduction time is up. I see a large curved metal object. That must mean it's time for the hook. Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Brave, brave knights, welcome to Camelot. I fear I see shadows. Shadows over Camelot. Brave knights, it's up to you to undergo dangerous quests in order to vanquish the evil that is overtaking our great land. So knights, it is your quest to bravely save Camelot. How you will do that is on each knight's turn, you're going to go and venture off and attempt to complete various quests. The quests are pictured in the different board areas. You might try to fight off the barbarians, or duel the Black Knight, or Lancelot, who has turned traitor. Or you might try to retrieve Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake, or the most difficult of all, to seek and find the Holy Grail. If you succeed, you will be rewarded. Look in the white box in each quest area. For example, if you complete the Holy Grail quest, you'll see in that white box you will get the Holy Grail, and some cards and some life points, but you also get white swords. White swords represent the triumph of good, and you will take some white swords and you will place three of those white swords on the round table at Camelot. And if you fail quests, then there will be consequences. You'll look in the red box of those quests. For example, on that Holy Grail quest, there are three black swords. So if you fail that quest, you're going to get three black swords to place on the round table at Camelot. Black swords represent the growth of evil. So in order to win the game, you have to save Camelot. And how you do that is when the round table is full, we must have completed more quests then we have failed quests. And that is represented by looking at the round table. And if we have more white swords than black, we will all have won the game. The Knights of Camelot will be victorious and your name shall be legend for all time. Yet be wary, there are many ways to fail. If we ever manage to get seven or more black swords, you lose. If Camelot is overtaken by evil armies, represented by these 12 catapult pieces, you lose. Or worst of all, if we suffer the death of all of the brave, brave knights, you lose. The challenge is mighty. Camelot's fate is in your hands. Can you save it? Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. So the object of the game is to go out and successfully complete quests. 
And in this game, we're all together playing against the game, and we win as a team or we lose as a team. So how we will complete these quests is on your turn, you do two things. You have to do a bad thing. You have to choose one of three things that's going to help the game try to beat us. And you get to do one good thing, something to help our team beat the game. To start with, on your turn, you have to choose a bad thing or an evil action. Each turn I'll ask you, are you going to play a card, a catapult, or take a life point? You don't want to have to do any of these things, but you have to pick one. You could play an evil card. Those are those black cards. You pick up one of those cards and it does a bad thing. Usually it makes it harder for us to win quests, like a barbarian shows up or Excalibur moves farther away. And so we don't really want to do that. Your second choice is to play a catapult, referred to officially in the game as Siege Engines. You play one in one of those spots outside Camelot. You'll notice there are 12 spots available for those catapults. And you don't want to do that too much, because if you fill all 12 of those spots, Camelot is overtaken by evil armies, and we all lose the game. Your third choice is to lose a life point. You start with four, and you can do it once in a while, but you don't want to do this too much, because if you go to zero life points, you are dead, and you can't play anymore. So you don't want to do any of them, but you have to pick one. On most turns, you'll probably pick up and play one of those evil black cards. Then you get to do one good thing. As your good thing, you will usually either move to a quest or try to help win the quest by playing a card. And that is it. That's the whole turn and how the game is played. Do a bad thing, card, a catapult, or life. Then do a good thing. Move to a quest or play a card to help you win the quest. And then it's the next player's turn. That's it. Simple, right? You'll start the game with a hand of white cards to help you succeed in quests. Look at your cards now. There's three different types of cards. Grail cards, fight cards, and special cards. Grail cards have a picture of a grail on them, and their only use is to help you find the grail. Fight cards have a number on them, 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, and they're used for the fighting quests. It's good to know that there are more of the lower numbered cards, the 1s and 2s, than there are of the higher numbered cards, the 4s and 5s. Finally, we have special cards. Uh, you'll have a card called a Merlin card, and you might have some other cards. Anything that isn't either a fight card or a grail card, maybe they let you gain life or draw more cards. These are called special cards. So you're going to use these cards to help you win quests. How? Well, let's look at those quests now. You'll have the choice of six different quests. To try to find the Holy Grail, to get Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake, to fight the two sets of barbarians, either the Picts, the guys that kind of look like cavemen, or the Saxons, these are the guys who kind of look like Vikings. Or you could duel the Black Knight or duel Lancelot. You'll have to move to these quests to do them. Look for a circular symbol near each of these quests. And some of them have multiple circles, some only have one. Most of the quests are group quests. The Holy Grail, Excalibur, and the two different barbarian armies are group quests, and to beat them, you can team up together, and you'll probably want to in order to be successful in these quests. There are two quests that are solo quests, and these are marked, they only have one circle, and that's the Lancelot quest, that's the board with the bridge, and the Black Knight quest. Let's go over how to defeat each quest. The search for the Holy Grail. 
The Grail Quest is a track of seven spaces for cards, and you're trying to get that whole track filled up with white Grail cards. When you're here at the Grail Quest, on your turn you can play a Grail card. Now you're going to have to be aware that lots of black cards are going to come the other way from people drawing those black cards on their turn. Eventually the white cards and the black cards are going to meet each other. Then when you play a white card, you'll cancel out one of the black cards in an empty space. The black cards, when they come on, will work the same way. If the track is full, instead of laying a black card down, the black card will remove one of the white cards. So it's a track of seven spaces. In order to win, you need to have the track filled with grail cards. And to do that, you'll probably have to play like 10 or 12 or even more grail cards because you'll have to take out those black cards that are coming from the other way. And you'll fail this quest if the quest completely fills with black cards. This is the most difficult quest in the game, but it has a large reward, and it's the only thing you can do with those Grail cards. So you'll either want to team up and really go for this one, or just try to stabilize this quest so that it doesn't fail and you get those three black swords. Next, Recovering Excalibur. This is one of the easier quests. When you're at the Excalibur quest, all you have to do is discard a card, any white card from your hand, and you get to move the Excalibur token one space towards safety. And of course, there'll be black cards that will come up from the players playing black cards that will move the Excalibur the other way. If Excalibur gets to the shore, you recover Excalibur and succeed in the quest. If Excalibur gets the other direction and gets to the icy glacier, Excalibur disappears forever and you fail the quest. Then there are the Barbarians. This is a fighting quest. There are two separate quests, one on either side of the board. One is fighting the Saxons and one is fighting the Picts. You'll want to fight them depending on how those figures come out. Cards will make some of those barbarian figures show up in the circles labeled 1, 2, 3, 4. And if a barbarian army ever fills one of those areas all four spaces, you will lose the quest. On the other hand, you can win this quest by filling up the fight section on that area of the board. There are fight sections for cards for fight cards 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. You need to play a straight of fight cards, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and fill it all up before the barbarians fill up. Now, if only one person is doing this, it's going to take them five turns to do this, which is why it's helpful to team up when you're facing a quest like this. If you fill it all up before the barbarians all get there, you win. If the barbarians all get there before you fill it up, you lose. Next, we have the duel with the Black Knight. This is a solo quest, meaning only one person can do it at a time. You'll see in your fight section on this board, we have two pairs of cards labeled AABB. This means in order to defeat the Black Knight, you need to play two pairs of cards. For example, a 2, a 2, a 3, and a 3. It is a solo quest. You can only play one card at a time, so it will take you four turns to defeat the Black Knight. Now there's also a section for the Black Knight fight cards. There are Black Knight fight cards in that black deck, and those will come down racing you. If either side fills up, the Black Knight side or your side, at that point tally up the black cards and the white cards, and whoever has the highest total will win the quest. Also, this is a solo quest and as such cannot be abandoned. If you leave for any reason, any of your fight cards that you have put down there are discarded. So if you're going to fight with the Black Knight, make sure that you have two pairs of cards in your hand before you begin that fight, otherwise you won't be able to finish it. Next, we have the duel with Lancelot. 
This is very similar to the Black Knight quest. It is a solo fighting quest. If you leave it, all your fight cards will disappear. But it's a little bit harder. Instead of two pair, you need a full house. You need a pair of two and three of a kind in cards. For example, you could have a one, a one, a one, a three, and a three. And at that point, you'd have to check and see if your total is higher than Lancelot's. Or, if Lancelot's fills up, same thing. You add up the numbers, whoever is highest wins the quest. And that's what's going on in this game. The knights are going out to these different sections of the board, playing white cards to try to accomplish the goals of those different quests. But at the same time, those black cards are going to come out and try to beat you. Most are self-explanatory, like place a grail card down or add a barbarian. The two we need to talk about are the black knight black cards and the Lancelot black cards. Now when you pick up a card, you should pick it up and look at it just by yourself and read it to yourself. As long as it's not a Black Knight card or a Lancelot card, you can flip that face up and show everybody and read it aloud to the group. But those Black Knight and Lancelot cards give you a choice. On the Black Knight and Lancelot cards are numbers, and these numbers represent the fight strength of Lancelot and the Black Knight. Before you place them down on the board, you have a choice whether to place them face down or face up. If you place them face up, then you'll get to show everybody on the team how strong that person is. If you put it face down, you will be hiding that information from your group, but as a reward, you get to draw one white card. So you have to decide whether not revealing that information to your team is worth the bonus card. One final note is the Lancelot cards have Lancelot on one side and the dragon on the other side. To start with, you're going to look at the Lancelot side. Later in the game, we're going to use the dragon side, so just pay attention to that Lancelot number to begin with. So on the black cards, as long as it's not a Lancelot or a Black Knight card, you can just show it to the group and do its function. If it is a Lancelot or Black Knight card, you have to decide whether you want to play it face up or face down. Playing it face down lets you draw the card, but then you must keep a secret what the strength of that card was. So that will be your turn. You're going to do a bad thing. Black card, catapult, or lose a life. Then do a good thing. Usually move or play one card to beat a quest. One other common choice for a good thing to do on your turn is to play a special card. Any card that isn't a fight or grail card. Usually they're self-explanatory. They might let you draw cards or gain life and so on. But playing one of those special white cards is your good action for the turn. You can't move or play other cards. And another popular choice for your good thing to do on your turn is to draw more cards. There are two major ways to get more white cards in the game. Either you complete a quest, which gives you a reward of more white cards, or you spend an action to draw more white cards. To draw more cards, you have to be at Camelot, and you use your action to draw cards, and when you do that, you get to draw two more white cards. A lot of times people will do this before they venture off to go start their first quest, or after they finish a quest to reload to go tackle another quest. So that's what people are generally doing on their turns as their good action. They're either making a move, playing a card to complete a quest, doing a special card, or are at Camelot and draw two more cards. So usually you only get to do one thing, unless you're feeling doubly heroic. If you want to be doubly heroic and take two actions, you're always allowed to do that on your turn. But the cost of that is you have to lose one life point for being so especially heroic. An important rule about this, though, is you can never do the same action twice, meaning you can't play down two cards on the same quest. 
Often, being doubly heroic is used to move to an area and play a card in that area on the same turn, but you can't play two cards in a single quest on the same turn. That would just make it too easy. So doing this when you have a lot of life is not a bad deal, but realize if you go down to one life, that can be a risk as some cards can make you lose life. So that's the game. Each night we'll do a bad thing and a good thing, and we'll continue to try to get more white swords than black to win the game before we get too many black swords, or we place all 12 catapults on the board, or we all die. But there is one more twist to this game. You know how I said we're all working as a team? Now that may not be exactly true. One of you could be a traitor. <laughs> Right now, I'm going to deal out loyalty cards. I'm going to deal out one more than the number of players. So let's say we have five players. I'm going to deal out six cards. Five of the cards are these blue loyal cards, and one of them is this red and black traitor card. After I deal them out, you're going to look at them secretly and place them under your nameplate there. Then I'm going to take the one extra one and put it back face down in the box without looking at it. Now it's possible we could all be loyal, but it's very likely that one of you is a traitor. What that means is if someone is the traitor, they're going to try to play exactly like the other knights, but subtly and secretly try to make the knights lose in a way that they do it without being suspected. Because if the loyal knights lose the game, the traitor wins the game. But not do it too obviously, because later in the game, you're able to be accused and kicked out of the game. But know that your goal is to try to make the team lose. And if you're loyal, know that it's very likely that one of us is working against the team. So as the other people play, you got to keep an eye out for suspicious behavior and look for who you think might be the traitor, because you'll be able to accuse them later. Don't be afraid to talk amongst the group about any treacherous behavior you see occurring, because that's all part of the fun. So I'll pass out those loyalty cards now. You cannot ever show anyone, and when you see your card, have a nice, innocent poker face, no matter what is on the back side. Don't start laughing. One final important rule in this game is about table talk. Now, you are working as a team, but we are separate. So I'm going to pass out the white cards that you'll have in your hand. You are not allowed to reveal anything that you know that no one else could know. And this involves the details of the cards that are in your hand. If you want to speak about your cards generally, you are able to do that, but you can't get specific. For example, I could say, I'm feeling especially brave today, meaning you have a lot of fight cards in your hand. Or you could say, I desire to seek the grail, meaning you have a lot of grail cards in your hand. You're not able to say, I have two grail cards and a fight four card. That takes all the fun out of the game. Now, where you draw the line for this will really depend on your group. But like I just did in my examples, it's fun to incorporate the role-playing element into this. If you say it in character in a way that's sort of general, then it's usually in bounds. Like if someone said, I urgently need help in the war against the Saxons. They could say that, and someone could look at the board and, and figure it out, but they aren't able to say, I really need someone to come here with a fight three card. Does anybody have a fight three card? Against the rules and no fun. Also, it's very important that if you get those Black Knight cards or the Lancelot cards and you put them face down, you can't say what you just put face down. That destroys the whole point of getting the bonus card. 
there's some debate about this, but I don't think you should even be able to suggest how strong it might be. It's like say, oh, that's a really bad one, because now you're just giving away the disadvantage of why you played it face down. If you put a card face down, you're not allowed to say anything about the strength of that card. Also, be aware that lying is allowed in this game. You're certainly allowed to lie about the things that you might do or about the cards you might have in your hand. And it might behoove the trader to do that, saying, you know, I, I just can't help you with that, even though he really could. The trader is allowed to lie as long as he's still following the rules of the game. And the last thing that's good to know is that each character has a special ability. And we're going to randomly determine, or if you want, you can pick based on the picture, if you like, uh, which knight you want to be. And before we start the game, we'll have each knight read their special advantage. And it's a good time now, before we begin the game, for each of us to read out our abilities out loud so that we know and can use each other's capabilities. Now, brave, brave knights, let us undertake these quests and go forth and conquer evil and be the sunrise that vanquishes these shadows over Camelot. Part 3. The Hamster. How to win the game. Before we set forth, valiant men, let us discuss our stratagems. So first of all and foremost, remember that we're a team. And as a team, communication is really important. We need to talk about our plan for which quests we're going to try to do and try to work together to be victorious in some of those quests. We don't all just want to go off and do our own thing. You're probably going to lose that way. It's good to plan out, you know, get a buddy or a group of two or three to go and take on those group quests. You're going to be more efficient by that. And know that you're not going to be able to do everything. There's some quests that you're just going to have to let go, and they're just going to fail, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. Remember to take advantage of each other's special abilities. You know, things like King Arthur being able to trade those cards. Or the other character who gets a free white card play every turn. You're going to want him to get a lot of those special white cards. Try not to waste a lot of actions moving around the board. Although that is a good strategy for the trader to try to just waste time by moving around the board or just being inefficient. What should you choose when you're trying to decide which bad action to do? I would say early on in the game you want to stay away from putting a lot of catapults on the board. Don't put a lot of them down early. Because trust me, those catapults will come on really fast later in the game. Don't forget the option to lose a life as a bad action. Don't be hanging around with four life points all the time. Your life is a resource. Use it. Speaking of using your life, don't forget to use that doubly heroic action on a turn where it's beneficial. And one final tip for this game, not so much for strategy, but just advice for having a fun game. Always be looking out for that trader. Keeping an eye on people, talk it up. The trader element, it's really what adds spice to this game. And just for fun, once in a while throw out that question. So, who does everybody think is the trader? And people argue back and forth and point fingers. Always leads to a good time. So with that, I'll leave you. Go forth, brave knights, to adventure. Camelot depends on you. Part 4. Footnotes and Musings. So first of all, the vegetables. 
there's a lot of things that I didn't cover, a lot of the specific rules. This game actually does have quite a bit of rules, but the basic structure is very easy to understand and easy for people to get going with. And as the game gets into it, I, knowing the rules, will point these things out. And a lot of people, they don't get angry about missing them because those rules didn't matter up to this point. Whereas something like brass, it's hard to get away with teaching half the rules of brass to someone. You really have to lay it all out there for them at the beginning. So here are the rules I would explain to people as we were going through the game. First of all, once we got everything all set, I would explain the round table sharing that happens at the beginning of the game. Every How everybody puts one white card in the middle, you mix them all up, you flip them over, and we have to discuss as a team how to distribute those cards. You can distribute them one for each player or multiples for players. People usually say things like, well, I... I feel like seeking the grail, and that person might take the grail cards, and you negotiate it that way. If you're unable to come to an agreement, uh, you may be playing the wrong game. People really need to be able to talk in this game, but if people are really unable to figure it out, you distribute them randomly. Now, when quests end, let's talk about what happens when those quests ends. First of all, how do they end? Um, the grails end when they get all black or all white. All seven spots are filled with one color of card. Excalibur, when it reaches other sides. For fights, it's when either side of the cards fill, black or white. And for the barbarians, if all four barbarian tokens get out there, you're going to lose. Then how do you resolve the quest? Now, if you win, the team gets the white swords, and anybody who's at that quest area will get the life bonus. Then, if there are cards, you would split those cards amongst the people that are there at that quest. So, it's, let's say you get seven cards. Each player does not get seven cards. You flip up seven cards, and the three people there have to decide who's going to get what. Then anyone who is on that quest has to return to the round table, and then they'll have to leave from there. In a barbarian quest, when that ends, you sweep away any barbarian tokens that are there. If you win a token, the Holy Grail or Excalibur or the armor, the players that are there have to decide who's going to get that item. The nice thing for those magic items is the players can just look at the reference card to see what the items do. Excalibur helps you in fighting quests. The Holy Grail saves someone who's dying and gives you four life points. It's a way to just get a lot more life to help you with the game. And Lancelot's armor lets you rearrange the black cards as you draw them. These are great examples of things that you don't need to explain before you start the game. They just don't matter until someone gets it. And a lot of times in this game, you're not even going to get these three things. So why explain it? If you lose a quest, you're going to get the black swords, put them on the round table. Anyone there is going to lose the life. There might be catapults that get added to the board. And if there's a magic item there, like uh, the Holy Grail, it's just lost forever. You put it in the box. The players still return to Camelot, and we'll have to start from there next turn. Some of the quests are endless quests, the Barbarian Quest and the Black Knight Quest. Once they finish, they begin immediately again. So when the Barbarian Quest is over, it just starts again. It's emptied out, and if another Barbarian card, say the Saxons comes out, the next Saxon token comes out there, and the players can either defeat that again or the Barbarians can defeat them again. They just endlessly continue as threats and as quests that the characters can complete. The other quests do finish. The Excalibur and the Grail board, when they're finished, those boards flip over, and they have a catapult icon on them. And what that means is whenever you draw a bad card for that quest, instead of nothing happening, you get a catapult, 
which is why, like I said, in the late game, the catapults speed up in the later game as some of those quests are completed. So if you drew an Excalibur card after the Excalibur card was finished, you would add a catapult to the board. When the Lancelot quest is finished, that flips over to a dragon quest. The dragon quest is a multiplayer quest, uh, but you need to have three three-of-a-kinds, so it's quite difficult to complete, and the dragon numbers are very high. So now the Lancelot cards, you would use the dragon number instead. The Lancelot dragon cards, they're all one card, and you would place those on that board as it happens. If the dragon one finishes and the game is still going, if you were to get one of those Lancelot dragon cards, you would add a catapult to the board. And that's what happens when those quests finish. There are a few more things that you could do during your turn, but in order to not overwhelm players with too many rules, I choose to ignore them until players might want to do that action. First of all, you can fight catapults. If you are at Camelot at the round table, you can charge out of the drawbridge and try to take down one of those catapults. Usually do this when things get desperate, and that's when I would bring it up. When things start getting to 8, 9 catapult range, then I'd say there is a way to get rid of catapults and explain the rules for doing that. What would happen is you would have to be there at Camelot, and you would have to discard as many fight cards as you choose. You total up those fight cards, and you have to beat a roll on an 8-sided die. So say, for example, I might be at Camelot, and for my heroic action I choose to fight a catapult. I might discard a fight two and a fight four card for a total value of fighting of six. Then we'd roll the eight-sided die, and if the number was less than six, I would remove a catapult from the board. If the roll on the die was six or higher, then I would lose. I lose one life point, and that's the end of my turn. Now, of course, there is a way to guarantee yourself victory. If you play a total of nine or more fight cards, then you'll automatically win. You won't even need to roll the die but you'll have cost yourself a lot of resources. It's good to know that one of the characters, Sir Kay, has an advantage to fight catapults, and if someone has Excalibur, they get an advantage in fighting those catapults. Next, healing. You are able to heal one life point if you discard three identical cards, and that's your turn. And I do mean identical. So three Grail cards or three fight cards with the same number on it. Uh, I Sometimes I don't even bring up this rule because it happens very rarely that a player wants to do it. Uh, one common reason a player might want to do it is if you're very low on life, the Grail quest is over, and you have a bunch of Grail cards, then that's the one other use for Grail cards. You could discard three Grail cards to get one life back. And the final other action you could do as your good action for the turn is you could accuse the traitor. This is only allowed after the halfway point of the game, which is recognized as either six swords are on the board, doesn't matter the color, or six catapults are on the board. As soon as that happens, I this is when I usually explain how you can accuse the traitor. You say, all right, we're at the midway point. Accusing the traitor is now allowed, and here are the rules for doing that. Each player is only allowed one traitor accusation per game. As their action, they'll say, I think you are the traitor. That player will then flip up their loyalty card, and this is the only time it's allowed to show the other players your loyalty card. If the accusing player is wrong, you add one black sword to the round table. If they are correct, you add one white sword to the table, and that player is now out of the game as an active player. They flip over their name card to the other side, which is the traitor side, and that explains what a revealed traitor does on his turn. 
we still go around the circle, and when it becomes the trader's turn, they get to choose a knight to discard a card from their hand, and then they get to either add a catapult or draw and play the top black card. So it still allows them something to do, even though they're essentially out of the game. They cannot be killed. Their cards go away. Um, the only other item that has an effect is if you manage to get Lancelot's armor, it will allow you to choose from the top two black cards, which is going to give you an advantage. Lancelot's armor is a nice thing for the trader to get. And that trader just hangs around, is an annoyance, and hopes the team loses. Some other things about trader accusation. The trader is allowed to accuse someone else. Even though they know that they're not the trader, the trader is allowed to do this. Because for one reason, you know you're going to be wrong, and you're going to get to add one black sword, which is good for you, the trader. Just keep in mind and remember that the trader, along with every other player, is only allowed one accusation for the whole game. The last thing that's very important to know, and I would bring this up as we get close to the end of the game, is to tell players that if we get to the end of the game, and no one has discovered the trader, we all flip over our loyalty cards, and if there is a trader, two of the white swords flip over to become black swords, and that impacts our ability to win the game. So in a close game, if there is a trader and you haven't discovered him, you will lose the game. So it's important that you seek out and reveal that trader. A couple other small rules. The good knights always lose ties. So if anything's a tie, like the catapult fight, or the black knight fight, or the lancelot fight, or worst of all, the black swords at the end of the game, the knights always lose ties. Next, cards that are played or discarded. We discard and play cards into a face-down discard pile. We have a stack of white cards and a stack of black cards face down. The reason you do that is it allows the trader the ability to get rid of some things that might be useful to the 